you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, welcome to another edition of the Huddle and Flow podcast. And, you know, we decided, my guy Jim Trotter and me, that we're going to give you two scoops. Not two scoops of us, Jim. They couldn't handle that. <laughs> two scoops of the podcast in one week. And, and, and Jim, this one's really special. And we're going to try and do this more and more often where we get some exclusive interviews. Um, and frankly, get stuff out of people that that they're not normally going to get. We're going to talk about subjects they may not normally talk about with media members and things like that, because that's what we do here on the Huddle and Flow. And uh, Jim, you know, we've, we've got Larry Fitzgerald here, um, someone you're really close with. And so I'd love for you just to talk for a little bit about your relationship with him. And then we'll go ahead and get into this unbelievable unplugged interview. Yeah, Steve, you know, the relationship really began back in 2008. I was working at Sports Illustrated. And I was sent out to Arizona to do a story on whether or not Larry Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden were the best receiving tandem in football history. And it was the first time I had met Larry. And obviously, we talked extensively for for that piece. And from there, you know, Larry's so personable that he's one of those guys that when you meet him for the first time and you see him after, it's like he feels like one of your longtime friends that you've known from way back when. But that year, they ended up making the playoffs. And if you remember, they got dusted in their final regular season game against the Patriots. And I would say literally no one outside of Arizona gave them a chance to win in the playoffs. And I'm not sure many people in Arizona gave them a chance to win in the playoffs. And yet they ended up making a run to the Super Bowl. And Sports Illustrated, I think, believing that they weren't going to do anything in the playoffs, took me, the new guy, the relative new guy, and said, hey, you go cover the Cardinals. And it turned out to be the best assignment in the playoffs that year. Um, Larry went off, had the greatest postseason ever by a wide receiver. That team stunned everyone. It came really within seconds of winning the Super Bowl. So it started from there. And and um, they sent me back out that offseason to do a, a longer piece on him. So I went out to visit him in, many, in uh, Minnesota and Eden Prairie at his home out there. He's a native, obviously, as you know, uh, of Minnesota. And the relationship just developed from there. So um, 
he's just a phenomenal talent. And as you know, uh, one of the most respected players in the NFL. All right. So as we get to this interview with Larry Fitzgerald, you're going to hear a little bit of different sound. It's going to come in and out. And part of that is why. And this is how gracious Larry Fitzgerald is. This interview started in his locker room before practice, after a workout, and continued later on that evening from his vehicle outside of the practice facility. So he was gracious enough with his time. Again, the sound is going to go in and out. But nothing that he says in this sweeping interview is going to be distorted because Larry brings you the unplugged Larry Fitzgerald. Number two all time in NFL history in catches. Number two all time in NFL history receiving yards. Sixth all time in receiving touchdowns. And that he may get up to number four this year or higher, depending on how this goes. Um, the single best postseason for a receiver in NFL history, greater than even the great Jerry Rice. We're introducing none other than the future Hall of Famer, Larry Fitzgerald. How you doing, Fitz? I'm doing great, Trotton. I, I got to I got to tell you, I really appreciate you putting that picture up behind you today. I know that I know your wife, your wife, your wife pulled that out the garage. It was all dusty. She blew it off for me. Mrs. Trotter, if you're listening and watching, I appreciate the love. Thank you. Look, look, Steve can testify to this. It's been up all season. It's there. It's there. It's been there it's all season. Larry. So every time we do a hit, go ahead. Every time we do a hit, it's up. So you're good. Okay. Yeah, you're good. Jim, Jim's now front right there. And Larry, my Minneapolis homeboy, always good to see you, man. Hey, I, I, hey, look, yep, let's kick this off, man. Just the start you guys have had. I mean, 2-0, you guys are lighting it up, and your defense has been lights out. I mean, just what about the way you guys have kicked things off? Well, it's been exciting. But as, you, as we all know, it's only two weeks. You know, this is a long season. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And we play well enough to win both both weeks. But, you know, by no stretch of imagination have we played our best ball, um, you know, in San Francisco. Uh, we left a lot of plays on the field, made a lot of mistakes. But fortunately, we were able to get out of there with a win. And, and this week, um, we jumped up early to a, to a pretty big lead and then, and then just took our foot off the gas. And, you know, if we want to be the team that we're capable of being, um, the explosive offensive playmakers that we are and the an opportunistic defense, you know, we have to be able to put together four quarters of college football, um, you know, to beat you know, really good teams as the season goes on. Fitz, when you look at you guys, um, what is the atmosphere in there right now? You've had four straight non-winning seasons. The last time you got to the playoffs was the conference finals back, I believe, in 2015, the 2015 season. So what's the mood like in there right now? Um, everybody's positive. You know, we have a really good group of men. Everybody works extremely hard in terms of their preparation. We have, you know, young, enthusiastic coaches that keeps it lively around here and, um, you know, our practices are really intense and competitive. You know, we really, you know, work at it. And, um, you know, whenever you're winning, it always makes the move in the locker room much more cheerful. Guys are more willing to work and do the extra things that are necessary to keep it going. All right. So you talk about these young coaches and these young players keeping it lively. Okay. When I talk to, to Jim about young Jeezy and some of these rappers, he says he, he goes about as deep as Anita Baker, right? That's, that's about as deep as his, as his playlist goes with you. In that locker room, are you are you able to keep up with the youngins? Are you uh, are you walking around here? Absolutely, I got uh, my boy Christian Kirk over here, sitting over here, and another one of my young teammates, uh, Trent Sherfield. They always keep me up on all the you know the 
What's the what's the young dude the the young NBA young NBA young boy and you know uh, all all these young young guys I, I keep up with them I know I know what they're doing I don't know what they're talking about but I know who they are. <laughs> I feel you on that, Fitz. Trust me. You know I just listen to the beat. I try to keep time to the beat. I don't know anything about the lyrics, man. So yeah. hey, Fitz, always, a lot they of always, they always they always get on me, you know, because the practice we play a lot of music whenever they play, you know. Uh, uh, like Tupac or, or or Biggie, and I'll be like, "This is real rap. This is real rap was real." You know, you when you can actually understand what their names were, actually understand the lyrics, and it just wasn't um, talking about money, cars, and drugs. You know, we actually had some substance and things like that. So, you know, I'll, I'll, they always get on me about that. <laughs> Fitz, you know, people now are talking about your quarterback already after two weeks as a potential MVP candidate. Where have you seen the growth in him from year one to year two? So Kyler's um he's really he's really grown over the over the last year and you know his physical attributes were you know well documented before he got here um you know he could throw he could run he can do everything but he's really shy and, and kind of reserved and so this year he's kind of really gotten out of his shell jokes around and hangs out and you know really is uh endeared himself to his teammates and I think that's the biggest part um you know, guys know him you know he's he's just one of the fellas now and uh it's made the relationship so much better and Obviously, as he continues to get better, his his position in terms of his leadership and and his status is going to continue to grow, and it's going to be you know essential for him to be able to continue to strengthen his relationship with the guys in his locker room because this what he's going to accomplish on the field is going to be legendary. He's just that talented. Wow, you know, Fitz, you study all the players in this league, and particularly the wideouts. What have you learned about D Hop that you maybe didn't know before you got there? Well, he's just got an uncanny ability to be able to get his body in position to make, you know, tough contested catches. And, you know, it's uh, it's really he's got extremely good lateral quickness, too, and very quick feet. So, you know, he gives him ability to be able to separate at the top of his breaks and be able to get out of his, you know, comebacks and stop routes and that nature. And guys just keep running, you know, when he stops because he's so good, good at dropping his weight. And, you know, his catching radius is incredible. I mean, you just put it anywhere in the facility. I never, I've never seen hands as big as his. I mean, he, he can one hand catch it behind his back. I mean, he's like, it's like you know, watching, you know, going to like, you know, the circus. You know, he's like a circus character. <laughs> yeah, he's got catch. But, but Larry, I mean, I remember that season when it was you and Quan and Steve Breston all went over a thousand yards receiving. And then you look at the talent with you, Christian Kirk, and D Hop. Is there, is there any type of comparison you can make between you know the two different receiving groups um i hate i hate making comparisons honestly i mean somebody will you know get slighted you know in the comparison um i would say you know the game is much different now you know than it was when we did that you know it was a much more of a balanced attack more teams were a balanced attack you look around and, you, and i watched the cleveland browns and um cincinnati Bengals last week on thursday night football i mean <laughs> I mean, Joe Burrow threw the ball 60 times, in the, you know, in the second second game. I mean, back when I got in the league, that, that just wasn't happening. You know, rookie quarterback, I remember Ben Roethlisberger, his rookie year, when they went 15-1. I mean, he was, you know, throwing the ball 15 times, you know, maybe at the most 20 times, managing it. Don't don't put the defense in bad position. Take the throws that are not there. You know, extend plays with your legs. You know, those are the kind of things that young quarterbacks were doing. And, you know, now it's just, you know, just throw it, sling it as many times as you possibly can. So, it's a lot different game. Do you reflect at all um, on things in your career, Fitz, and just what's been most memorable to you at this point? 
Well, I, there's been a lot of things that are memorable, you know, just, you know, developing relationships with people on your team and, you know, people, you know, around the city and, you know, developing great relationships like the one that you and I have. And, you know, I mean, all of those things you really cherish and it wouldn't have been possible if I wasn't able to play and, and have a career as long as I've been able to have. So, you know, I think, you know, I think the greatest thing that's kind of happened to me over the last couple of years is I've been able to like really appreciate that type of thing. You know, as before, I was just only focused on, you know, getting better. How can I improve? How can I chase down this goal? And I and I learned I can do all of it at the same time. And, you know, I um, you know, had a teammate come up to me the other day and, you know, talk to me about, you know, things he was going through. And that like that would have never happened before. You know, um, you know, guys would have been comfortable doing that. Now, it makes me feel good that guys feel comfortable enough to be able to discuss things that have nothing to do with football and, you know, you know, value my opinion those type of things they, they mean a lot to me now well what's interesting Fitz is that um you've played your entire career with one franchise which is almost unheard of in today's game and I wonder at what point did that become important to you to say I don't want to go anywhere else because there were opportunities for you potentially in free agency when did you reach that point where you said I want to be one of those guys that it's just one franchise well, I never wanted. I never wanted to leave, and it's it's um, it has it goes way back a long time ago. And so when I was you know 20 years old and got drafted, you know, Dennis Green gave me a chance. Um, you know, he could have taken Ben Roethlisberger, he could have taken Philip Rivers, he could have taken, um, you know, any of those quarterbacks uh, in that in that draft. He, he decided to come with receiver. The year before me, they had drafted Anquan Bolden in the second round. He was the rookie of the year. Uh, made the Pro Bowl as a rookie, um, and they also drafted Brian Johnson in the first round, the 15th pick overall. There was no need for drafting the receiver. There was obvious need for the quarterback position, but he felt that I was a dynamic playmaker and I could help the team. And, you know, like I always felt like I was indebted to him for, to making that decision. The organization has always been good to me from that point on. Michael Bidwell and everybody else has treated me like family. And uh, you know, I, I'm more so, you know, by the mentality, like I want, I want to make where I'm at better. You know, it's – it's easy to go somewhere else where, you know, they have pieces in place. But to be able to do it where you where you came um, first, and I think that I think that's the most, you know, that brings me the most joy. And, like, being in this position, you know, seeing that we really now finally have a team that can go out and compete with anybody any Sunday, you know, it, it makes it all worthwhile. And Fitz, to have that chance, one, one quick sec, Steve. I know for you the only thing you haven't accomplished is winning a Super Bowl. And obviously, you're closer to the finish line than the starting line. So from that standpoint, what would it mean for you to finally have that opportunity again, maybe to get back to that game and take that final step? Well, man, I, Jim, I just really wanted to start by just getting in the playoffs. You know, it's been a few years since I've been in the playoffs and, you know, felt the magnitude and the importance of, of those kind of games. You know, there's nothing like, you know, just going through that preparation playing against really, really, really skilled teams that have seen, you know, 17, 18 weeks of you performing, knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses, devising plans to try to negate what you've been able to do all that time and then finding a way to be able to, you know, raise your level of performance, what you've been doing the whole season, be able to focus and hone in, you know, for 60 minutes for everything. I mean, I just really miss that intensity and, you know, just sitting back and watching the playoffs over the last few years. I mean, like the the hair on my arm stands up and I want to have that feeling again. Um, I think this team has the ability to, to do some good things, you know, barring any major setbacks. But I, I, that's what you play for, Jim. I mean, that's 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 what it's all about.
Hey, Larry, we had a guest on our podcast last week who's rooting uh, more for your playoff and Super Bowl success than maybe you, and that's the great, the GOAT, Jerry Rice. Because he said he wants you to win the Super Bowl and stop trying to chase down his records. <laughs> what about what, what about him saying that? And, you know, and just knowing that he, he, he sees you in the rear view. Well, you know, when, when, you, when you're Jerry Rice and you're standing on top of Mount Everest, you know, it's, it's easy to have a bird's eye view of everything that's going on below you. Um, you know, he's he set the blueprint for the wide receiver position. Um, you know, nobody's ever done it to his level. Uh, I personally think he's, you know, the best football player to ever play the game. You know, I'm, I'm talking about quarterback, running back, linebacker. I don't think any position in our sport, um, and I can't think of any other sport besides maybe hockey, that you could say a guy dominated his position at such a high level that it was nobody. He has no peers. You know, Wayne, Wayne Gretzky was head and shoulders, the best to ever do it. Right. And, you know, you look across basketball, you know, you talk Will Chamberlain, Michael Jordan, you know, Magic Johnson, LeBron. I mean, there's, there's a conversation. Um, you know, when you, when you talk about Jerry Rice, there's not really much of a conversation. And not only did he, accomplish it on the individual level but he was able to do it on the team level as well winning three, three championships and and so he he had it and he and, and he's you know will go down as the greatest to ever do it no matter what happens over the next hundred years either way to completely avoid the question way to completely avoid the question larry he was talking about you chasing records <laughs> no, it's, it's honestly, it's I, I, I never set I never set out to to catch them or try to attain any any records. You know, um, honestly, I mean, I, I really just want to I just want to win, man. Um, you know, you're not I'm not going to have my career won't be any better or, or worse if I'm able to catch it. You know, it's it really what's important to me is just getting that chance to win a championship. I just want a chance. That's all. I just want, I just want an opportunity. You know, Fitz, um one of the things about you is that you are known as an ambassador, not only of the game, but of the league and one of the true gentlemen in the game. And what we've seen from you this year is that you've stepped out more in terms of using your voice on issues that are going on in this country right now, whether it's an op-ed in the New York Times or the Inspire Change piece you did for the network. And I'm wondering, why are we hearing more from you now on, on this than maybe five, 10 years ago? Well, I don't know if the, the the climate has ever been the way it's been, you know, since I've been a professional. Um, you know, a few years ago when Colin Kaepernick decided to take a knee for the first time, I, I feel like it was, you know, at a fever pitch level there. But in terms of the political atmosphere, you know, the, uh, the social movement, um, you know, everything, the pandemic, I mean, it's it's a it's an unprecedented time for all of us in this country. And. You know, I, I think there's a lot of voices being heard, and I think there's a few that you should actually listen to, uh, unfortunately. And, um, you know, I try not to get into politics and religion too often, but you know, there's times that you need to step up and, and you know, draw a line in the sand for what you, what you stand for, what you believe in. And, um, you know, I just felt like it was, it was around that time. You know, you've got young sons. What's that conversation like about what's going on in the world today with them? Well, I just try to be honest, and I think it's important. You know, just parenting, like you guys know, is probably the most difficult it's ever been. You know, it's when you guys grew up, when I grew up, there was no social media. You know, there was you were learning from kids at school. You were learning from, you know, maybe the kids at, at Bible study or at church. You know, some of the kids in your team. You know, 
so the the information you were getting was from a, a certain area, right? It, that that most for the most part could be, could be controlled. Now, you know, my twelve year old son can pick up his phone, look on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and he's privy to everything good, bad, or indifferent that the world has to offer. So you're not only trying to educate him, but you're trying to peel back the misconceptions and eyes and 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 rumors that are not actually factual. I mean, so you're 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 unwinding, building, trying to teach him to have his self-esteem be high regardless of how many followers he has. If somebody doesn't like what he's wearing, does it really matter if you like the only thing that matters is if you like, I mean, so there's constantly lessons you're trying to teach your kids about, you know, values and um, self-worth and, you know, being respectful and being a leader, you know, when other people are, you know, being divisive. I mean, so there's so many great learning lessons that we can teach our kids and, you know, something that I'm, I'm always on my boys about. I'm curious, when did you, you first realize the importance of, of your family name and what it means to to have integrity and to stand up and, and, and be accountable? I learned at a very young age. I was probably seven or eight years old. I, I, I got in a little trouble one time and my dad, I remember, snatched me up, you know, threw me up against the wall. Um, and he told me, you have my name. You are You are Larry Fitzgerald Jr. I want you to ever forget that. I work I work my ass off to put our family in position to put food on this table, clothes on the back to send you to private schools. And you're going to respect that. And you're going to go out there and you're going to be the man that I've raised you to be as the mother and I raised you to be. So you talk about how your father and mother raised you. Jim and I were, were pretty much raised the same way. And, you know, we, we had to raise our children a certain way. But what what is it is it like? Because we can't raise our kids like that anymore. I mean, we can't we can't hem our kids up on a wall and say, you're wearing my name because you talked about all of the distractions in the world that they have to go through. And they're under constant amounts of pressure that, you know, we try to understand. I mean, so like I said, when you're parenting your kids and, t- and telling them about some of the things that you were just talking about, what is the easiest way, if there is an easy way to kind of navigate? Well, I mean, you touched on a very, you know, a, a great topic. And my dad and I, as a, as an adult, you know, have had this discussion before and, um, you know, like when, I, when my boys were young, I had to make a decision on like, you know, because I, I was raised, I got spanked and, you know, people around me held me accountable and all of those things. And now, you know, I, I look back and I, and I ask myself, was I making good decisions as a young person because I knew the difference between right and wrong? Or was I making good decisions because I feared the consequences and repercussions of my father and my mother and, the, and my grandparents and my aunts and uncles? Because I knew what would happen if I did it the wrong way. And I really thought like I, I was making those decisions based on the fact that I was scared of the consequences. And when I look at my boys, I want my sons to make decisions based on principles and their character. And I want them to make those decisions based on simple facts. This is the, this is the right thing to do. This is the wrong thing to do. Are those guys in the playground? They're your friends and they're, and they're, and they're smoking weed. And you know, you're not supposed to be doing that because, you know, that's not something that you know, that, that we agreed upon that we're going to do, you know, we can't play sports and, and do things like that. Um, you know, it's important for you to make those decisions based on right and wrong, based on what your principles are. And so, um, you know, we've had those conversations, my dad and I, and then also with my sons, you know, I've had those talks with my wanted to make, you know, good, good decisions on a daily basis because when they get older, it's not going to be based on fear anymore. You know, when they're doing things or in a party in college and there's opportunities and, and decisions to be made, there's, I'm not there. I can't police them anymore. They have what decisions that they're going to be making at that time is going to be predicated solely on, you know, what we raise them to do. Fitz, when you look at, at your role in this league, beyond just being a great player and obviously a guy who's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, 
Jim, I'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer if you vote for me, Jim. If you put me on the ballot, Jim, I need you to put me on the ballot, man. I don't. I think you're good. I don't think you need my. Yeah, I don't think you need my help, bro. Yeah, I think you're um, good, man. <laughs> yeah, but but from your stat, I mean, we know your status as a player, but but to be regarded as one of the ambassadors of the game, a former Walter Payton, Cole Walter Payton Man of the Year, and to be regarded as a gentleman, like you never hear anyone like when I thought you were going to retire possibly last year and I'm reaching out to people and players about it you cannot find one player who has a bad thing to say about Larry Fitzgerald to have that kind of respect around the league what does that mean to you I mean I'm, I'm humble but I was also around a player very similar to that in Kurt Warner you know I, I learned from when I was 21 he got here in 2005 and I was a, I was a baby you know I was just a you know, kid trying to find his way, going into my second year. And, you know, I literally, I just watched everything that he did and, you know, how he conducted himself. And I tell this story often, and it really resonated with me and it still sticks with me to this day. I'll never forget we were playing against the Houston Texans in Houston. And Kurt was, you know, he was banged up. And uh, in the second quarter, he got hit, ended up tearing his knee and was down for the rest of the season. He had just had his baby twins. They couldn't have been any older than about four, four or five weeks. And his wife, um, had a blood clot. She was in the hospital battling for her life. They didn't know if the blood clot was going to be okay. And so any one of those things would have been enough to derail, you know, a normal person, right? But every single day he would come to work. You know, he would still hold Bible study. He was still on time for meetings, punctual, helping his teammates, being completely dedicated to the cause when he could easily, and everybody would understand if he would have just went and tended to his family, you know, took care of his wife and kids. But he, he made a commitment and those type of stories like that, you know, they really they really stand out to me, you know, how to conduct yourself as a, as a man and, and an ambassador and just, you know, like those type of things. Those, those are the stories and, and memories that come to my mind when I'm out representing myself as a National Football League player. Well, you got to give us a little insight here on obviously I've never gotten a call to speak um, at a senator's funeral and I've never gotten a call from a president saying, hey, let's go golf. For you, I, I, what, what what are those calls like when you get those moments with from from the family of the late Senator John McCain or currently the former President Barack Obama? When you get calls, people who respect you that much, who want to be around you and be involved with you, um, what is that like? It's, it's humbling, honestly, Jim. Um, you know, I never forget, you know, when I had that conversation with Senator McCain, he asked me to come up and see him in Sedona, you know, at his home and. We sat down and, and we visited and, you know, uh, you know, I knew that was probably most likely going to be the last time I saw him. And at that time he asked me, you know, I don't know when the day will, will come where the Lord will bring me home. But when that day comes, I, I would be honored if you would, you know, say a few words at, at, at my funeral. And, you know, I was really taken back um, because we, we had a really strong relationship. But I mean, I could think of a thousand other people who are much more qualified to be able to speak at his funeral funeral. I mean, from the congressmen and former presidents and his family and people that have, you know, he's known for years and years and him to, to think of me as worthy to be able to get up there and say a few words about my relationship with him. You know, it was, it was, I was, I was caught off guard. I'll be honest with you. And, um, you know, I felt like enormous pressure to be able to go up there and especially I'm sitting on stage with, you know, um, you know, Joe Biden and, you know, guys like that. I just, I was. I don't know if I've ever been as nervous, um, but um, you know, it was it was it was a great honor with President Obama. You know, I got a chance to meet him a few years ago when we struck up a really you know nice relationship, and 
every time you know I'm, I'm around, I'm in D.C. or Martha's Vineyard, or he's down in Florida, or, or you know anywhere we we try to connect. And um, you know he's a wonderful human being, and I've learned a great deal. And just being able to spend four hours with him on the golf course to be able to pick his mind, and you know I love kind of talking trash with him. He put me in my place one time, you know, and I, I, I was talking, he, he three-putted one time. I was like, man, come on, you're not going to be anybody with that. He was like, Larry, just just relax over there. You know, I'm used <laughs> to talking, I'm used to talking trash with Putin. You're nothing to me, you know, like, so you know, he, he, put, he put me in my place real quick there. So, I mean, you know, he, he's got a great personality and wonderful sense of humor. And, uh, you know, he loves, he loves to play golf just like you and I. But he's so inquisitive. Just, I mean, you're so inquisitive. What do you ask Barack Obama when you're on a golf course for four hours? Everything, anything you could ever imagine. You know, what what is what is the things you miss most about you know being president? What are the things you enjoy most about not having to be president anymore? And you know, what is it like to raise children in the White House? And you know, how difficult is it? You know, seeing your daughters, you know, date and you know, you know, being accepting to that. And you know, I, I ask them, I ask them everything and. Um, you know, I, I, you know, you never know when next time is going to be able to be able to ask those questions. So I'm not, I'm not afraid. You know me, I'm, I like to ask my questions. Well, you didn't tell us who won. Yeah, right. Who won? He won. He won, he won the last time we played. No, but he he played at his course at at Farms Neck. You know, I, he knows every single putt. He was hitting it really good. I think he he made birdie on number two. Made birdie on five. I mean, he had it going that day. He had it going that day, and he was letting me know. He was letting us all know that that we could wait, hang with him. Hold, wait, hold on, Fitz. I need to hear what is trash talk like from Barack Obama. Um, it's trash talk like like it would be when you when you hanging with the fellas. I mean, he he's he's he he talks that cash, but I'm telling you, he talks it. He does. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Okay. So, so since, you, since since you rub shoulders with guys all the way from the White House to the Senate to the Congress, is there a political career in your future, Larry? No chance. No chance. No chance. Why? No, we want to we want to keep the skeletons in the closet. We don't need them all out for air. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel you on that. Oh, all right, so, man. So, so so on that note, I, told, I, I was actually having fun. I was messing with my with my seven year old son. I was like at about the age of seven years old. Now you know with everything that you that, that's you know available to the public, I feel like you have to make the decision at about six or seven that you want to be president of the United States and live your life accordingly. You know what I mean? I mean, they're bringing back college, you know, guys getting in trouble for things they did at a college frat party. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you can't do anything. I'm like, Lolo, no, no, please put that candy. If I don't want anybody even associate you with maybe trying to walk out of here without that candy, because that could do real your political careers 25 years from now. <laughs> oh, they, got, they, got, they got the Twitter CSI out. If you just yeah, they do. <laughs> All right, so, so on that note, since, you know, look, we, we know, you know, you're, you're a big-time traveler, um, a heavy dude. So let's, so let's kind of let us into the world of Larry a little bit. Give us, like, a couple great books um, and, and a couple great locations that maybe you have not been to. Let's So, so first off, let's talk about how well read are you? What do you like to read? Um, I'm uh, right now. Let me see. I'm reading. My favorite book is The Alchemist uh, by Pablo Cohen. Um, I love I love that. Right now, I'm reading the I'm reading the book called Range. Um, it's uh, it's it's a great book. I mean, it, it makes great comparisons between like Tiger Woods and Roger Federer. You know, Tiger Woods was a was a prodigy just like Roger Federer was a prodigy, but you know, Tiger Woods was kind of 
from the time he could walk, his dad put a golf club in his hand and, you know, taught him how to walk and, you know, mentally train him to be the best golfer of all time. Then it compares that opposite to Roger Federer. Roger Federer played soccer. He played, you know, basketball, he played handball. He played multiple sports. And after high school, he decided he wanted to pursue his tennis career. He had he'd been playing tennis. And so really comparing it, comparing and contrasting, you know, which philosophy is most effective. And, you know, it doesn't tell you which one it is, but it kind of lets you think about, you know, for yourself. And so, I mean, it's a, it's a great one. And, and, uh, and I'm working on a crossword puzzle. So that's kind of how I keep my, kind of, kind of keep my <laughs> mind sharp. At, at last check, Larry, you had gone to over a hundred countries. If memory serves me, I was going to ask you 107. So what's left? Um, there's a lot left. I mean, there's 200 and 200, 200 plus countries out there. I mean, so there's a lot of places I need to go. And, uh, you know, 2020 has not been good for country traveling. You know, I haven't, I didn't get a chance to go anywhere. Actually, I'm sorry. I went to, I went to New Zealand in February and that was the last time I did any, I did any traveling. So it's been, um, it's been a little slow. So I'm looking forward to getting back out on the road and exploring a little bit, you know, this off season. Are you going to hit all 200? I doubt there's a few countries that I have no desire to go to. So I don't. I don't think I'll be in that 200 range. No. All right. So you're you're a little younger than us, but is any place you've been that you would recommend to two middle-aged gentlemen with adult children for them and their wives to go to? What's your budget? Ah, that's always ah, key, isn't it? Hey, that's the that's the that's the question. You know what I mean? That's that's the, is it based key. on the budget? That's all. Because I, I like going, I like going places that are off the beaten path, right? I mean, you want to go to Italy and go to Rome, and you're dealing with a hundred thousand tourists, you know, everywhere you are, or you want to go to London and go to London Bridge and you know go to Buckingham Palace. There's a ton of tourists. I mean, that's that's not really my the way I like to do it. I like to get off the beaten path a little bit and go to some places that are less traveled and you know, go on some spiritual tours and safaris where, you know, I like the peace, peace of mind and some serenity. I like, I like getting on the water, you know, so, you know, I like, I like to kind of go on some places that most people would never want to go. Oh, it's interesting. I've been to Antarctica. I've been in Antarctica before. I never hear anybody like, man, I would love to go to Antarctica. You yeah, know? right. No. I'm like, I went no. there in the summertime and it was still five below zero every day. You know, you're like, yeah, that, that doesn't seem like it's much fun, but I had a great time. You know what's interesting, Fitz, is how much travel can tie into your performance as an athlete. Because I remember you once telling me the story about when you went to Machu Picchu. And this was the season before the Super Bowl, I believe. And when you're making that hike above 10,000 feet above sea level and your body is hurting, you know, your lungs are hurting and everything else. And you say to yourself, if I can push myself through this, I can push myself through anything. I can lift others. And then you go out in 2008 and you guys end up going to a Super Bowl that year, and you have the greatest postseason ever by a wide receiver. Um, what do you remember about that, that that just sort of helped take you to that next level? And how much did it help take you to that next level? Well, I think, I think like, the mindset that I have in competing is, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to give up. I'm not asking for quarter. I'm not giving any um, – you know, when I'm doing things like that, I, I mean, I was tired. There's no question. I, I didn't train for altitude hikes and things of that nature. But my resolve and my and my competition character, you know, you know, will come through because I'm just not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. And I remember seeing people, you know, get up there and sit down and turn back and you know, not be able to finish. And I was like, I'm not I, I can't, I've come too far to, to do that. And, you know, um, 
you know, you just got to have a mindset. You know, your mindset has, has to be fixed and set on, you know, reaching your goals and doing whatever you need to do to get there. You know, can I say this? Of all the stats in your career that people talk about, number two in receptions, number two in receiving touchdowns, num- or I'm sorry, number two in receiving yards, number six in receiving touchdowns, all of that. The number that stands out to me that's really remarkable in your career is that in 17 years, you have no, missed don't say it, Jim. Don't say it. Don't say I'm, it. Let I'm me sorry. get to the season. Let me get okay. to the season. I already I'm know sorry. where you're going with that. I won't we say don't, it. We don't talk about that, Jim. We don't talk about those types okay. of things. That's, that's what we're going to talk about. We'll talk about that in five years on the golf course. Damn, Fitz, I can't believe you did that. You know, we ain't going to go there at all. I don't believe that. When we're off, when we're mean, off you saw, there, you saw last week and week. You saw last week and week two. I mean, it's... Oh. This game is brutal. It's, I mean, it's it's literally brutal, and you never know. You have no idea just what's going to happen. I, and I think as a competitor, I, I love that the most about football is that you literally have no clue you, because of the physical component. I mean, you watch basketball. You could tell early in the year, you know, when you put Anthony Davis on the same team with LeBron James, there's a high probability that this team is going is gonna to make it, you know, Um now you look at teams that are put together like that. You look at the Yankees. You look at those that lineup or the Dodgers lineup. You say, "There's a there's a good chance this team is going to make it." And uh, you look at the NFL. You know, your team could be loaded as mu- as much as possible. Week one, you know, you lose your your left tackle. You know, week three, you lose your your, your Mike linebacker. In week seven, seventeen, your quarterback. I mean, like it's you just never know. You know, in our game, and um, you know, it's so it's so unpredictable because of that 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 factor. Real, real quick, what was, it, what was it like last week? And just for in the locker room, when you go out and you see like the Niners lose two starting defensive linemen in one series, and I mean, just all of the injuries. What was the conversation in the locker room like with everybody? I mean, cause we were playing the late game, so when we were before we even went on the field, I mean, it, information was trickling in. You know, hey, Saquon went down, and um, you know, we we saw Jimmy Garoppolo went down, and then Nick Bosa went down and uh you know so you just you hear you're hearing the information as you're getting ready and try not to think about it you know but your heart goes out to those guys because you know you know how hard men work to get themselves in those positions and um you know it's obviously like saquon battling through injuries before and you know you, you just you just feel you feel terrible for them um obviously all those guys are young and they'll be able to come back uh, but you know it's just it's difficult to not to be able to be out there and and put in the work with your boys Fitz, I know we've kept you a long time. Let's have a little fun before you leave us. So I'm going to throw a few things out at you. We're going to do these quick hitters. Just get your thoughts on it. But first, I want to give you a trivia question. You have had, first of all, do you know how many different starting quarterbacks you have had in your career? And can you name them? Yeah, I can name, I can name for the mo- most of them. Yeah, I would say. I mean, if you gave me some time. Um, but I would say it's around like nineteen, maybe twenty. I've got I've got it at seventeen. Seventeen, okay. In terms of individuals, um, but starters, absolutely starters. The thing that's really that that speaks to your production too, Fitz, is this though. You've had twelve seasons where you have had multiple starting quarterbacks. You have had three seasons. Um, no, you've had five seasons where you have had three or more different starting quarterbacks, and you've had one season where you had four different starting quarterbacks. What is it like going through something like that? And how much does it make you appreciate what you have now? 
no, I definitely appreciate. It. I always appreciate the opportunity of being on the field because I know, you know, that's not that's not a given. You know, it's very difficult to, to not only be playing at this level, but to stay and be productive on this level. Um, you know, playing quarterback in the National Football League is, I think, in sports, the most difficult thing to do. The most difficult. You know, it's not only do you have to have the ability to be able to put the ball and and throw the ball and do that, do those type of things, but you have to, you know, deal with. Aaron Donalds and Khalil Max and, you know, those guys coming off the edge and, and inflicting physical pain on you. You have to lead. You got to be tough. You know, you have to be intelligent to be able to digest what teams are trying to do to you on a week-to-week basis. It's, it's a very, very tough job. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate those guys going out there and giving it their best. And, um, you know, it's it's I know it's, it's not ideal. You know, I'd much rather be like like Uncle Jerry and, and have back-to-back Hall of Famers, you know, you know, slinging it to me in their prime. But, you know, it is what it is. All right, so, since we're on the issue of having fun, your your top three, either Netflix, Amazon, whatever series, movies. Are you are you are you at the Ozark, Peaky Blinders? What are your what are your what are your shows? I love Ozarks. Uh, Jason Bateman is a monster, man. He's, he's his mind is so creative, and I and I I'm, I'm looking forward to the next season. I can't wait. Uh, I'm really I'm really good. Helen's gone. I'm really happy. Helen's gone. I I don't know if I've ever been as oh, as proud oh. to see somebody get. Somebody get knocked off, you know. That was that. She really rubbed. She really rubbed me the wrong way, man. But wait, Fitz, do you binge watch or do you go take your time with it? No, no. I like to be able to. I like to be able to watch it, and then I like. I want the suspense to build, you know, for the next episode. Cause yeah, I, I go through like Netflix depression, you know. On the last episode, I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I gotta wait. I gotta wait another year. God willing, they bring it back. You know, like I, I don't like to just get it all out the way. I like I like to take my time and you know watch it real slow and really enjoy it, and then come back to work and talking with the fellows. Hey, did y'all see that last night, man? I, that was crazy, right? Man, I wonder what's gonna happen next. You know, I like so I like to I like to just enjoy it. You better than me. I binge watch, man. Once I start, I gotta go through it. So no, no, I like to. I like to take my time. I like to take my time. Peaky Blinders, man. Peaky Blinders, Larry. Peaky you Blinders, go man. Those my guys right there. That's my Hard guys right there, man. Yeah. Fitz, let's do this. Outside of your team, you can't identify one of your teammates in answering these questions. Jerry Rice said last week that you have the best hands in the NFL that he's ever seen. So for you, who has the best hands in the NFL that you've ever seen? And it can't be – and no, let's do it this way. Active players, who has the best hands in the NFL and it can't be someone on your team? That's such a tough, that's such a tough question. Um, Come on now. Uh Jarvis Landry catches it really well. I I, I enjoy I enjoy watching Jarvis. Um, um, Adam Thielen catches it really well up in Minnesota. You know he's always making tough tough catches. Um, DeAndre, I gotta go with one of my teammates in there. No, you can't do your team. You can't man. do your teammate, man. Can't do your teammate. But yeah, I'm gonna let you off with that. I'm gonna give you a different one. It's a minute left in the game. You're down by six. What quarterback do you want with the ball in his hands? And it can't be your own. 
Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is a monster, man. He, he's a he's a he's a walking monster out there. When he's when he's playing and he's comfortable, when he's playing at, at a high level. I mean that guy right there. Week one, he made a, he made like three throws in that game. Week one, I said this. There's not many people walking the face of the earth that can make these type of throws and do it under duress and just. That's that's fun to watch when he's when he's rolling. Russell Wilson's another one, man. He's. I he's think amazing. he's the most underrated player in the in the National Football League. Uh, I mean, he's obviously won a Super Bowl. He's been, you know, to many Pro Bowls and 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 uh, all Pro performer. But man, what he's what he's what he's able to do year in and year out, you know, with a, a cast that's constantly changing. I mean, the offensive line, you know, mixes and matching and different backs and different receivers different tight ends. I mean, the guy just finds a way every single year just just to will his team. Um, and, he's and never he's, had a losing season. Yeah, he's special. He's special. All right, yeah, outside, I, outside, outside of your stadium, best football atmosphere? Oh, it's just not even close. Seattle. Yeah. It looked it didn't it looked a little dead on uh, on Sunday night. <laughs> you know, it looked a little dead on Sunday night. I didn't I didn't I wasn't feeling the energy. You know, the 12th man, I saw the sign up there, but it, it didn't really feel like the 12th man up there, you know, on Sunday night. But, man, that place, literally, on third down, you know, I remember playing against when they were, when they were you know, really rolling on the defensive side of the ball with, you know, Sherman and, you know, and, and Michael Bennett and Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas and his name and all the Bobby Wagners and just when they, when they were – had that whole crew together. I mean, on third down, you couldn't hear yourself think. I mean, not alone, you couldn't hear anything in the huddle, but you couldn't hear yourself thinking. You know, the atmosphere was just so crazy that, that you just can't beat that. Oh, man, I got goosebumps just thinking about it, you know? Yeah. That's what, that, that's part of the game. That's what I missed this year with this whole COVID thing. There's just, you go oh, into a stadium. And man, it's so much easier playing now right now, Jeff. Really? Oh, it's so much. It's so, I would say... The better team most likely is going to win. The home field advantage means nothing. You know, you go playing. I mean, it's no different from like I can go over here and play in this park, or I can cross the street and play in the park here. I mean, there's there's no there's nothing that's different about it. You know, no silent count. You know, if there's miscommunication, you literally can the coach can just yell it out to you on the field. I mean, it's like it's 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 crazy. I mean, the speed of the game is still the same, but in terms of just communicating, the pressure is nowhere near as high as it as it would be with the crowd. You know, there's not as many eyes on you. I think it's way easier for younger players to go out and play now, you know. So it's it's a it's a lot different. Is the energy level as high? Oh, the energy, once you're, once you're playing, there's nothing different. There's not there's nothing different. But you know, if you're one of those guys who has to, you know, get your energy from you know external factors, the crowd, the noise, that stuff, it could be tough to get up. But you know, if you're if you're just intrinsically motivated and just love to compete, it's it's no different than it has ever been. Yeah. Phenomenal. All right, Larry. Hey, man, we we appreciate the time, man. It's we we love having this discussion. We know the respect we have for you, a Minneapolis brother. Yes, thank you, thank you. Six one two represent. You know, right. you know, I, I I could keep you here all night, but I won't. So all right, well, I, we, I appreciate you doing this, it, man. It's, it's an honor. Thanks for having me, guys. You have a good night and a good weekend. First off, Jim, you have to like how Fitz hits us with the what's your budget. <laughs> then tells the moving story about uh, him and Senator McCain. And, and look, the fact that he said that he's playing golf with the president for once, you're like, ooh. 
And then he says Barack Obama was was hitting him was hitting him with the stuff, not the golf shots, but was hitting him with the junk, the trash. Hey, man, Larry, Larry is living his best life. You know, what's funny, Steve, is if you've ever been on the golf course with Larry and I've been on it a couple of times with him. He never talks trash on the football field, but he will definitely talk to you on the golf course. And it's in a, a lot of times in a playful way, but a competitive way. Oh, you can't make that. I bet you can't make this three foot putt. I bet you can't birdie this hole. And he kind of lures you in that way to where he's like putting that pressure on you to see if you're actually going to step up to it or not. Um, so to hear that he and the president were trash talking, I'm not surprised at all. What I was surprised about was to hear that Barack actually won because Larry's golf game is pretty darn good. Yeah, because because Barack put him in his lane and said, sit over here, son. I'm used to yes, having these sir. conversations with Putin. <laughs> oh, that was phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> all right, Jim, just 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 a, just a great job uh, in that interview. Um, and again, here on the Huddle Flow podcast, Jim Trotter and I, we're going to try to bring you things like this every week if possible. Shine a little light on some of these players who shine a little light on our lives. And remember to download the podcast on Apple and Spotify and leave us a review. Again, we really want to we really want to get better. We want to give you guys what you want to hear. And uh, hopefully it's more of the, uh, the two scoops with people like Larry Fitzgerald and some other special guests we have lined up. All right, for Jim Trotter, Thomas Warren, and Arjuna Ramkopal, Steve White, the Hot on Flow Podcast. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.